know, there are days where I wake up and I think Republicans uh, are not serious about climate and, you know, this is all on us. And then there are days where I wake up and I'm seeing some some hope, some light at the end of the tunnel. So it's going to be so exciting to flesh that out. Part of me says the Green New Deal is a dumpster fire. I mean, from top to bottom completely, but we should be grateful for it because this issue hasn't been discussed in any serious way since 2009. Part of me feels like the Green New Deal is so not serious. It's so offensive to capitalism and it's so offensive to your average American that maybe they hurt our opportunity to have a real discussion about actual solutions. This is not the discussion we want to have. We might be more polarized today than we were four months ago when we recorded our last episode. Welcome to season two of Political Climate, a bipartisan podcast on energy and environmental issues in America. We are happy to be officially back in session after a roughly four month hiatus. As always, I'm your host, Julia Piper, contributing editor at Green Tech Media. And just like last season, I'm joined by my Democrat and Republican colleagues, Brandon Hurlbut and Shane Skelton. Brandon is a co-founder at consulting firm Boundary Stone Partners, a former energy and environment advisor to President Obama, and former chief of staff at the Department of Energy under Secretary Stephen Chu. Shane is a partner at consulting firm S2C Pacific. He's a former congressional candidate and energy advisor to former House Speaker Paul Ryan. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Shane. Uh, we're, uh, we're back. We are back. Do you think we um, missed anything? Well, there was the first major bankruptcy related to climate change when PG&E declared bankruptcy in January due to the wildfires. Pacific Gas and Electric. Yes, we did miss that. We did miss that. Yeah. Mm. And remember, Nancy Pelosi created that fake climate committee to appease the freshmen who weren't on the real climate committee that passes climate policy. The House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Is that what they named it? Yeah. Yeah. They just had a, a hearing. Cute. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Markey introduced the Green New Deal resolution. That did happen. I tried to read it. It was really confusing, but luckily I got the FAQ, so now I'm sort of up to speed. No airplanes, no hamburgers. Is that what we're doing? Well, Shane, you're still eating hamburgers, I've seen, so I think it's okay. That's because literally every Senate Democrat voted against the Green New Deal. (laughs) McConnell did put it up for a vote, and the Democrats voted present. Uh, That did also happen. Well, some voted Mm. present, some voted no, for the record. True. Well, we also missed the Pentagon report that uh, found climate change threatens their operational plans and installations. So that wasn't that wasn't great. And only about a million people have started running for the Democratic presidential uh, nomination. Yeah. Last time we had a show, um, nobody had heard of Pete Buttigieg. And now Mayor Pete's everywhere. Yeah. Oh, and we have our news, right, Julia? Our new partnership. That's news. That's climate news. Yes, that is true. Political Climate is so excited to announce that we are now partnering with the University of Southern California's Schwarzenegger Institute and the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation. The Political Climate team is based in Los Angeles and we're recording right now from the USC campus where they're hosting a huge event on climate policy. This is going to be a very exciting season, guys. Julia, you've got some news of your own. I do. I do. I'm moving to a contributing editor role at Green Tech Media, so I'll still be writing and editing there. But I'm really excited to do more work on this podcast. I know we're going to take the show on the road, going overseas, going across the country and really driving the dialogue on climate and politics leading up to the 2020 election. Yeah. And so for our listeners, what that means is we're going to be able to record just about every week and have the conversations that need to be had. Remember, we were all, uh, both us and you, the listeners, talking about these issues before they were sexy, before they were headlines every day. 
There have probably been more headlines about climate-related activity on both sides of Capitol Hill and on both sides of the aisle in the last four months since we last recorded than there have been in the entire time I worked on Capitol Hill, and honestly, probably since the cap-and-trade deal went down. And so uh, we're running into now a presidential cycle where climate's going to be an issue. We're having Republicans and Democrats proposing ideas on climate. Uh, I think there's going to be a fun debate to be had, and I think we're going to really enjoy weighing in on it and filling our listeners in on, on what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, there's actually so much going on right now. It really feels like a new era for climate policy. Brandon, do you agree with that? You know, I worked on President Obama's first campaign back in 08, and climate was not a part of the conversation at all. Uh, and now climate is a priority. There, Most of the Democratic candidates have endorsed the Green New Deal, and they're getting questions uh, in their town halls. And um, we're excited to be covering that. Well, and having Governor Schwarzenegger on the team this year is going to be really exciting because he is a Republican that won in the state of California that's been bold in a number of ways on the conservative agenda, but also very bold in climate, both with the legislation that he pushed as governor, but then also just what he's done at the state, local, federal, and international level since then. And I think having a Republican who's well-known, who's been outspoken on this issue, talking about it with us, will help remind our listeners that this is not a partisan issue. Yes. And so Governor Schwarzenegger is going to come on the show. We'll have a chance to sit down with the governor and hear about what he's working on and get his thoughts on the current state of political affairs. So stay tuned for that. And we're super excited to be partnering with the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation. They have been a leading environmental organization um, for many years. They give grants out to terrific groups out there on the front lines. And Leonardo DiCaprio uh, he's a tremendous actor, but he's also a terrific activist on this issue. I think, you know, at one point, and maybe this is still true, uh, when he talked about climate change, when he accepted his award for best actor at the Oscars, it was like the most Googled moment ever for climate change. Um, and he knows his stuff. He knows the substance. And he's leading a terrific organization that we are really proud to be aligned with. Yes. So there's the update Thanks to all of our listeners who have tuned in so far, and we hope you'll continue to listen and share the show with friends as we embark on the journey of season two. Now, let's take a little closer look at the latest news. So there is a lot going on, as we know, from recent headlines. But what are you guys thinking about all this? What does it really mean? What's gaining traction? Shane, what do you think is real here? I think we get to have real conversations. So in the past, Democrats have lined up bills that they thought would sufficiently protective of the climate and Republicans have knocked them down. Last year, we did an episode, if you'll remember, that Republicans seemingly unprompted put up a bill just to say carbon tax as a general uh, rule is a terrible idea. So now I think, you know, what we were debating then is can Republicans participate? We had that discussion last year. Now Republicans have introduced carbon tax bills. Republicans have introduced resolutions on how you can address climate change. Democrats have done the same. They've had committee hearings. They've had, even in the Senate, the Republican-controlled Senate, they've had committee hearings. So I think this season, what'll be really fun is not arguing whether or not climate change is a Democratic issue or Republican issue or bipartisan issue, but actually digging into these bills introduced by the most conservative Republicans like Matt Goetz or the most liberal Democrats like Ocasio-Cortez and really say, what line items do you like? Is there anything in here that's good? Is there anything in here that's bad? Could we agree on something in the middle or can we just take the stuff we agree on, pass it and move on? I don't know how that's going to play out, but we're going to have a lot of fodder because now these debates are happening every single day on both sides of the aisle, on both chambers of Congress, and we're not debating theory anymore. We're going to be debating real bills that are going to have a real chance to to hit the House and Senate floor. 
Unfortunately, I don't think we can totally ignore the partisanship, though. Uh, President Trump has already said he's going to campaign in 2020 against the Green New Deal. He invited Democrats to, you know, come at me, bro, and bring it and see if the voters will go for it. Republicans are going to campaign against the Green New Deal. I mean, Mitch McConnell put it up for a vote to make Democrats vote for it because he knew it would humiliate them. And they didn't take the bait. They didn't vote for it. But I don't think it's the same thing to say we don't support the Green New Deal to say we don't support climate change. Keep in mind that the Green New Deal had like a minimum wage type of thing, a guaranteed job. It had all sorts of provisions that were completely and entirely unrelated from climate. So I think it's fair to say I want to address the climate issues without totally restructuring capitalism as we know it. I don't think that's a I don't think that I don't think those two positions are at odds. Well, there are also people who think that jobs and healthcare are absolutely tied to the climate agenda, as outlined in the Green New Deal. Uh, but of course, there are those who fundamentally disagree. So what's great about this platform is that we're going to have all of those views on the show. Brandon, what recent developments stand out to you? Nothing grabs attention like a presidential campaign. Um, and we're going to see we've got so many exciting candidates in the Democratic primary. The race is just so kicked many, off. So many. So many. And they're talking, they're prioritizing climate, which we said hasn't happened in a long time. And we're going to learn a lot about these candidates over the next year. I was in New Hampshire for a year. Those voters are sophisticated. They will start kicking the tires uh, on these candidates, and they're going to have to go a little bit deeper than some of the comments they've made to this point. So we're going to learn a lot about, you know, how would they get climate done? Do they support a carbon tax or not? Incidentally, in the 2016 campaign for president, Hillary Clinton did not endorse a, a carbon tax. Now we have Republican legislators introducing carbon tax bills, and we have most of the Democratic presidential candidates endorsing or supporting the Green New Deal. So this is just how far we've come. We've talked a lot on this show about the aspirational versus the possible. And without getting into legislation specifically, when you look at the field of primary candidates and you say, as the primary voters start kicking the tires, do you think the Beto O'Rourke I'm getting everyone excited. Climate change is real. Uh, This is important. That's important. And just getting them fired up. Do you think that's the kind of candidate that Democrats need? Or do you think the Buttigieg or even the Elizabeth Warren, who's actually like taking the time to go through line by line how they want to address these problems? Like, what do you think voters in the Democratic primary want right now? It's such a great question, Shane. And this is where I'm so excited for season two, because I still feel like we have so many questions to answer. I feel like I still have so much to learn. You know, there are days where I wake up and I think Republicans uh, are not serious about climate and, you know, this is all on us. And then there are days where I wake up and I'm seeing some some hope, some light at the end of the tunnel. So it's going to be so exciting to flesh that out. Uh, on th- what the Democratic voters want, they want to beat Trump. <laughs> That's for sure. And what is going to be the best way to do that? I think, you know, right now there's a lot in the party that want to see some bold Uh, ambitious policies on this. They're feeling the urgency of this issue. But, you know, but how do you get those voters in a general election as well? So this is going to be really interesting and we're going to be covering this very closely. Brandon, who are you most excited about in the presidential among the presidential nominees? This is literally every conversation I have with like all my friends, you know, and um, (sighs) nerd alert. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. That was a loud laugh. Please edit that out. (laughs) Um, It stays. No. Um, I, and I honestly mean this, I am so excited about almost all of them. I really am. I think we have a great field. There's this, you know, some of the conventional wisdom is like, oh, who do we have? You know, I mean, look at Mayor Pete coming out of nowhere and the way he's talked about climate, you know, he said, people want to talk about political feasibility. 
science and physics don't care about political feasibility. We have a time clock that we're up against. And I thought he presented that in a really interesting way. And Beto is exciting people. Bernie has been a leader on this issue. We've Jay Inslee's running on Jay it. Jay Inslee's the running on it. it. We, you know, we have new leaders in the party uh, that have stepped up and are running, exciting young folks. I'm, I can't wait. I, th- I think it's going to be really exciting. Obviously, I'm not a Democrat. I'm obviously not a Democrat primary voter. I can't even imagine who's going to come out of this. It might even be someone that we haven't even talked about yet. Um, what I really want to see, though, uh, just on the climate front alone, uh, whoever comes out of there is going to run against President Donald Trump. And he is a force to be reckoned with. And I tend to wonder when they're playing on his turf, are they going to stick to those things that you're talking about? Universal health care. Are we going to be talking about climate change? Um, or is Trump going to make whoever plays against him play on his field? And and how is the dialogue that you're seeing on the left in the primary field now going to shift? And for our purposes specifically, do you think President Trump will be having climate debates with whoever the Democratic nominee is on the grand stage in the general election? Yes, because I think, Shane, and I'm curious as to what you think about this, I think both sides think they can win on this issue, which is which is sort of a new development. Because on like the Green New Deal, bring it. You know, this is well, he, popular. he brought it, to be clear. He yeah, brought it. This is popular with the voters. Not popular enough for a single Democrat to vote for it. <laughs> Keep in mind, McConnell laid the gauntlet down. He didn't write this bill. Ed Markey wrote it's this a, bill. It's a resolution. Aca- I'm sorry. It's Well, resolutions are also bills. But Ocasio-Cortez But wrote it's different it. from a piece of actual introduced legislation, correct? In the sense that it was pitched as kind of a vision board and was non-binding. It would not be an authorizing piece of legislation. But my point is, it was written and introduced by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It was written and introduced by Ed Markey. And McConnell just said, okay, you introduced a resolution, which by the way, resolutions don't go through the committee process. So those people who say he short shrifted the process are not being honest with you. Resolutions either go straight to the floor or they don't. He called their bluff. He put it on the floor. Some of them voted against it. The rest of them ran scared. If you think they have the backbone to talk about this issue seriously, why did they run away from their own bill? Well, I think they want to have a serious conversation and saying things like Democrats want to get rid of cows and hamburgers. That was their FAQ. That was that was from Ocasio-Cortez's office. It wasn't in the in the Green New Deal resolution, but that isn't something Mitch McConnell made up. That is a document that her office put together. Well, I'd love to have a fair debate on the Green New Deal. And what I think that voters are going to be looking for in this presidential campaign, what I think has been interesting about the part of the climate debate that we haven't been having in a long time is how wealth inequality fits into this. And I think you've seen going back to 2006, the voters have been sort of bouncing off the guardrails. You know, they, there was a Democratic wave in 2006 and another one in 08, a Republican wave in 10, and then a Republican you know, wave in 16, and then a Democratic wave in 18. What does that mean? It means that voters are searching for real change. And I think it's not the type of change that people are talking about in D.C. all the time. They're seeing the system is not working for them. And I think that's why a lot of people voted for Donald Trump. He was an outsider. And I think what we're going to see in in part of this climate change debate is how we can marry those two issues. You know, great wealth inequality with solving this existential crisis that we're facing. And so let's do the two together. The FAQ was, I think, a lot of people would say a PR blunder, if nothing else. There was the resolution, as we've been discussing, which included bold items like retrofitting every building in America for energy efficiency and moving to 100% clean electricity. But on energy, at least, it didn't get super specific. It didn't pick technology winners and losers. 
The FAQ from Ocasio-Cortez's office, meanwhile, was super confusing. It was like the resolution unfiltered. Uh, As one writer at Slate put it, it was as if the resolution had gotten drunk at an office party and decided to tell its co-workers exactly what it thought of them. Um, So the FAQ called for transitioning off of nuclear and trying to get rid of, quote, farting calves and airplanes. Uh, The alternative suggested was to build more high-speed rail, which, as we know, in California has had a controversial past. So lots of people latched onto this. Now, for the record, Ocasio-Cortez's office said they accidentally released an old version of the FAQ to the press, but still it triggered a ton of blowback on both the right and also the left. So, so Brandon, I feel like I have to ask you, like, how bad was that for the Democrats? Obviously, it would have been better for that to not have been accidentally released. But, you know, this is where I wake up some days thinking the Republicans, there's hope, and other days where I think, you know, they're not serious. It feels like sometimes, no matter what we say, they just say we're socialists, right? I mean, you look at Obamacare, which was Mitt Romney's health care plan we've talked about in the past, and that was socialism and, you know, death panels. So this is like my question to Shane. You know, if the, you know, frequently asked question had not come out, would there have been a more serious debate about this? So I'm of two minds, and I, and I want to work through this. I, you know, like you said earlier, I have a lot to learn. Part of me says the Green New Deal is a dumpster fire. I mean, from top to bottom completely, but we should be grateful for it because this issue hasn't been discussed in any serious way since 2009. And now Republicans and Democrats alike, both elected, but also on television and out in our communities, are having a serious discussion about the threat of climate change and how to address it. So part of me feels like, hey, we needed to get here. Part of me feels like people like you and I and Julia have been having this discussion for a long time, and the Green New Deal is so not serious. It's so offensive to capitalism, and it's so offensive to your average American that maybe they hurt our opportunity to have a real discussion about actual solutions. I'm not taking a side. Like you say, you wake up one day one way and one day the other. Part of me goes, hey, we're having a discussion. Let's call it a win. We expanded the Overton window. And part of me goes, this is not the discussion we want to have. We might be more polarized today than we were four months ago when we recorded our last episode. Episode. But and, and, you know, I'm excited for this season because I love getting out of my own bubble, too. Like we were just talking about all oh, my friends are talking about, you know, the Democratic candidates and who we're excited about, who are not. You know, talking to Shane, I'm still learning from him. But when it comes to the Green New Deal, I mean, 52 percent of people support it in the latest like NBC poll. So, don't even pretend like you've ever worked in politics and you don't understand that you can write a poll to make the answer whatever you want it to be. We used to see this all the time when I worked on the other side. It was, um, do you want clean air? Like 94% of people will say yes. Do you want to pay 16 extra cents per gallon for clean air? 94% of people say no. So those polls aren't incredibly serious unless you drill down on the specific policies that you're voting on. The, in the question cluster. was, do you agree or disagree with a proposal called the Green New Deal that addresses issues related to climate change? pretty simple. I agree with that. Every Literally find me one person who disagrees with that. Add on what that might mean for you. So if the, if the FAQ is real, do you agree with a plan that would eliminate meat overall, that would ground air travel permanently? I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to make that rhetorical case, but I'm saying if you ask the question that way, 100% of people will say no. So I don't think it's fair to just have that generic question and then say, look, more than half of the American population agrees with my answer. Because if McConnell wrote that question, I can almost guarantee you 0% would say yes. I mean, it is tricky on the FAQ side specifically. I mean, it is extreme the way that it's worded. However, if you look at the science, that is kind of where the science says we need to go. We need to move away from carbon intensive industries and that includes agriculture and you know travel, etc. So it is interesting because it's not necessarily wrong. Um, 
another thing I want to push back on is uh, the idea that this has made us more uh, divided because I think more divided, but maybe within still a, a, a band of willing if that makes sense. People are divided on how to get there and what the solutions will be. But there are more Republicans than ever talking about this issue. Um, like you said, uh, Shane, Representative Matt Getz has introduced the Green Real Deal, which he certainly never would have done if the Green New Deal did not exist. And so you have a pretty conservative Republican, a strong Trump supporter coming out with his own plan. And I feel like you can't deny that that AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has at least brought this conversation to a whole new level. I think you're right. And the last point that I have, at least personally on this, because I, I don't think you're right. I know you're right uh, on that general sort of spectrum. But what I think, you know, really sort of gets to me is that my view on getting Republicans to back climate action has always been, we're not asking you to live a less meaningful and less enjoyable life for the sake of climate. We're telling you, you can have a better and more meaningful life with cleaner air and healthier children if we address climate. And once you start telling people, in order to address this problem, I have to take away all the stuff that you like. You can't travel anymore. You can't eat cheeseburgers. You can't do these things. I don't think that creates a bigger tent. I think it creates a smaller tent. That's fair. I know I was uh, at an event with Representative Carlos Corbello here in Los Angeles, hosted by uh, the LA Clean Tech Incubator. And he was talking about, you know, the fun parts of climate action. Like, what do you do if you enact a carbon tax or a carbon pricing scheme of some kind and you have money to play with? Wouldn't that be amazing? Think of the roads you could improve. Well, we, don't, we don't talk about that enough on the policymaking side is all the benefits. And I think actually the Green New Deal has tapped into that, at least in part, the jobs piece in particular, um, the innovation. Um, that's something that everyone, you know, wants more more of in this country. And I think that'll be the narrative that will probably win the day. Uh, what policies are put in and around that uh, remains to be seen. I should also add that we're talking about the federal level. There's been so much happening at the state level, which I'm excited to talk about this year, uh, and the city level as well. Um, cities going 100%, utilities leading the way like Excel and Idaho Power going 100% clean energy Idaho. on their own volition. get this done in Idaho. Yeah, That's New Mexico just passed a 100% clean energy bill. Illinois is considering a 100% renewable energy bill. That's where I'm from, and there's a lot of coal in Illinois. So for yeah. Illinois to go 100% renewable is a and big deal. even nuclear, which is interesting in a debate, I'm sure we'll have more of is where nuclear fits into this picture because Illinois actually has the most nuclear power of any state and yet they're looking at a renewable bill. So it's interesting to cover. Well, and you guys just made my point, by the way, with Idaho, because Idaho is a state where people love the land, they love the environment, they love to farm, they love to raise cattle. You tell them that they can have 100% clean energy and keep their quality of life, you're winning over a very important constituency. You tell them they can't raise cattle and make meat anymore and you have an entirely different conversation. I think another theme we're going to touch on more is bold versus incremental action. This is a theme we have dealt with in the past, but you know the Green New Deal is bold. It's making people uncomfortable. But will it lead to incremental action? That's a question. And I don't have those answers, and I don't know if you guys do either, but it's something that I think we'll really want to dig into this year. Well, we're going to get to have a lot of great guests, right? Because we don't have all the answers. We have opinions. We have experiences. We'll continue to talk to more people. But I'm excited to hear from some of our guests who are fighting these fights on the front lines right now, some who have fought them in the past, and some who are fighting them overseas and get you know the best ideas possible in front of our listeners. And finally, I think the question is, will anything actually pass? There have been 17 hearings, I think, so far this year since the Democrats took control uh, specifically on climate. But what will get approved? There's a division on that brand and even within the Democratic Party. So um, I'm curious, you know, where that's going to go. Also, because Republicans still control the Senate. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I think, and, 
you know, internal party debate about this. And that's going to be really fun to cover. And I think the presidential campaign is going to like flesh that out. You see guys like, um, you know, John Hickenlooper wrote an op-ed, you know, saying he was not for the Green New Deal and, you know, wanted a more incremental approach. And then we've got people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren running. And so um, this is going to be a really fun debate to cover. So talking about being bold in the debate inside your party, one of the first things that the freshmen pushed for, and, and actually some non-freshmen in the Democratic Party, was a select committee on climate change, because this was so important and needed an entirely different committee with no actual authorizing authority to address it. You do have the Energy and Commerce Committee, which actually has jurisdiction. So what they ultimately decided to do, as you know, and I think our listeners know, is create a select committee that could serve as almost a think tank within the Democratic Party, and Republicans are on the committee as well, and refer legislation, not refer in the technical sense, but actually promote legislation to the committees of jurisdiction who could then move on it. So what they just did was they passed H.R. 9 through Energy and Commerce. That was the first bill that was put forward by the Select Committee on Climate to the Committee of Jurisdiction Energy and Commerce. And what that bill basically did is it prohibited Trump from withdrawing from the Paris Agreement in 2020 and then required the administration to submit a plan to Congress on how they'll go about meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement. And I'm just wondering, is what the party views as ambitious, what they needed an entirely separate special committee for to do something that Obama did easily by himself when Republicans controlled all of Congress. Was that the type of bold action that they were looking for when they created a select committee? I think it was an important first step because, you know, as our listeners know, climate is not just an American problem. This is a global problem. And America needs to be leading on this. But right now, we have a president that is a climate denier and says it's a hoax. By the way, you know, the world has really moved on on this issue, right? Everybody's in base agreement except for many of the Republicans in D.C., including the president. And so I think it's important to send a signal to the world. What we're hoping to convey is that President Trump is a speed bump, and we got two years, we're going to get him out of there, and then America will be back and we'll be leading on this issue. So I think now that we have power in the House, it's important to send that signal to the rest of the world that, you know, you can count on America in the future. Well, the House is about to go out of session for two weeks, so we'll have to press pause on that discussion and see what develops. For now, though, as always, we have to end this show with our Say Something Nice segment, where our Democrat and Republican co-hosts have to say something redeeming about the opposing political party. Shane, you're up. So this is totally cheap, right? But I want to thank um, or say something nice about, if I can, uh, Terry Tamanen at the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation and Leonardo DiCaprio for putting their support behind this podcast. I think the work they're doing over there is fantastic. And, and what I like specifically about that foundation is they're not yelling at people and telling them they're wrong. They're investing capital into cleaning up air in areas of the world that I've never been to, that I've never thought about. And they're supporting this show so that we can have a more thorough discussion about how we can do our job here in the United States. Brandon? Beyond the governor helping us terminate climate change, I've got a couple of say something nice. First of all, Senator Chuck Grassley from uh, Iowa, in response to Trump's comments that wind turbines can cause cancer, um, called those comments idiotic. And it's very tough in the Republican Party now to stand up to Trump. So I think that was a you know courageous thing to do. And the other courageous thing, I actually have two, is Secretary Perry at a conference sponsored uh, by the coal lobby, uh, stood up for renewables recently. So, you know, going in front of an audience like that, I thought was, uh, you know, show courage as well. So it's good to see some Republicans having some courage to stand up to the coal lobby and President Trump. 
Fantastic. You guys haven't lost it. You're still finding ways to come together. Even after retreating to your corners for four months, having powwows with the Dems and the Republicans, you still came together and brought your A-game today. So I'm proud of you. Shane and I have been hanging out at the uh, Bank of California Stadium watching I know, soccer. You guys dolly, hang out all the time. dolly, 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 oh. No, dolly, 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 black and gold. Oh, is that what it is? Yes. I've been singing it wrong for like, well, I guess a few games now. You guys, as charming as this moment is, it's time to end the show. But luckily, it's just the beginning of our new season. So to listen, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, all the platforms, anywhere you get podcasts, you can find Political Climate. Also, follow us on Twitter. We're at poly underscore climate. Tweet at us. Let us know what you want us to cover. Send us questions, feedback. We welcome all of it. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week.